Hello, everyone. Welcome to Vibrant Life Allies. I'm your host, Lisa, the Life Coach. And as always, I bring you on this podcast amazing coaches, experts, and entrepreneurs, just a collection of people who can help you live more vibrantly. And today was just a super interesting interview. Ariana Zabrinsky was just absolutely amazing. She's working on a doctorate in in clinical psychology. I believe I said that right. And she just has so much education and knowledge. And, you know, she does therapy, but she also does coaching. So we talked about the differences there. We talked about addiction, trauma, forgiveness. And one of the the biggest things we, we talked about was how this vision of your highest self, the highest version of you, can help you make decisions, take actions, reframe, you know, issues with, with forgiveness or, or trauma. And I found that very helpful, even as an educated coach myself. It was, you know, something that I was like, oh, I could really learn from this and really apply this. So it was fantastic value for me. And also she was just very vibrant and full of life and so much great information. So enjoy the episode, hopefully as much as I enjoyed the interview. And if it resonates with you, reach out to her and, you know, learn more and and see, you know, how she can help you live more vibrantly and enjoy the show and enjoy life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Vibrant Life Allies. Today, I have an amazing coach for you again, as always. Ariana, I'll let you introduce yourself. Ah, Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be on your podcast. So my name is Ariana Zabriskie. I'm an associate marriage family therapist. I'm also a clinical psychology doctoral candidate, and I am a forgiveness coach. The forgiveness coaching was really born out of my own personal journey to healing and forgiveness, which is a continual lifelong process, I feel like at this point, but I've been lucky enough to be able to serve clients as both a therapist and a coach that has been, it's been really exciting getting to explore both those different avenues of healing. Yeah, that's amazing. And Congratulations on working on your PhD. I've always wanted to get a PhD, but I have I hadn't found what I wanted to get it in yet. <laughs> that can definitely be a barrier. And and I'm actually getting my PsyD, so it's a doctorate of psychology. Oh, yes. Sorry. They're different. No, it's fine. It's close <laughs> enough. They're close enough. I decided to go the PsyD route versus the PhD route because I'm really interested in doing private practice. And the PsyD is more specific for private practice, less emphasis on research, which, you know, I thought was more intriguing. But now in hindsight, I'm actually really excited about research too. So it's just funny how that happens. That's fascinating. And I'm very interested in psychology, but I won't try and like turn this into a a conversation about psychopaths, which is like my favorite thing. (laughs) Different podcast, I think. Yeah, that's so funny. I love it. So you kind of have then these different, you know, experiences with how you help people. What are some of kind of like the different ways that you've worked with individuals in this area? Yeah, well, that's a really interesting topic because I think one of the biggest things that comes up in the coaching world is what is the difference between therapy and coaching? And this is something that I've, I've spoken about several times. And I actually, it was really the 
starting idea for my own business, I created a business that it is called the Unfuckwithable Coaches. And I essentially train coaches about mental health. And I talk a lot about these these differences because it, it can be complicated. But I think the biggest difference is that therapy is often focused in past, working on the past and working on childhood stuff, where coaching is often focused on the forward thinking and being in the present now. But what I'm finding in my own work with this is that I find it difficult to do one without the other. So this is why I realized that Actually, it could be really beneficial to train coaches on how to be more equipped to be able to recognize certain mental health concerns and also be able to tap into a little bit more of the past of the client to help work with the present and the future. That it's difficult to work with someone's present and future without touching on some of that potential trauma. A trauma can be a heavy word. Maybe I'll just talk about like maybe their past woes of whatever, you know, things they might be holding on to. Maybe trauma is a little bit too harsh of a word that that one might be finicky to touch as a coach, but that you can definitely work through some of these memories that people might be holding on to of like, this person said this thing to me in fifth grade and it impacted how I move forward in every romantic relationship ever since. And I'm not even joking that I've literally experience that with a client and it's it's pretty profound to recognize oh my gosh like that's why this is so important to be able to go back and explore what are some of these underlying beliefs that people have adopted from certain experiences right and i like that that you pointed that out because i think that was something that was a barrier for me in some of the therapy that i went through trying to get help is they wanted to identify that trauma. And and when I hear that word, I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I have no trauma. And they're like, oh, you do. You've got all these things. You have trauma. I'm like, no. But if you think about like a culmination of a lot of several of those type incidences that you mentioned, someone says something to you and it just sinks in and you you carry that with you. And it it affects the way that you interact with the world after that point. So you might not think of that as a trauma, but it's definitely impacted you in, in a very strong way. And I really, really appreciate that about the coaching world is that there's all of a sudden this removal of barriers, there's removal of identifying factors and labels, I think can actually, depending on the client, be really, really helpful. Because what I see often happen a lot with therapy clients is they often take on the identity of their diagnosis. And and I find that that can, depending on the person, that can actually be really harmful. Right. I I, I can definitely see how how that would, you know, fit in what we talk about in coaching, the growth versus the fixed mindset. If it's, I have anxiety, you know, that's, you're looking for that. You're looking to be anxious and, and for that response. Yeah. It's something so interesting that I recently learned about antidepressants is that a lot of research that shows that the effectiveness of antidepressants is so deeply connected to the belief the person has, if it'll work. Wow. 
And so it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like if, if you believe that something will work, same thing with hypnosis. One of the biggest factors of hypnosis being effective for people is if they believe it could be effective. And it just goes to show how powerful our minds are. And half the battle is believing that something can work, right? And then that could even influence you. But, you know, it does go to show just how significant these type of labels or things that could be put on us if we believe them so true then it can it can really be an embodiment of who we are absolutely and so with all this this knowledge of these different areas that you have what is it that you are doing right now like who do you work with and and how do you help them so i work in addictions as a therapist so that is a very interesting field to work in because i would say that's probably one of the areas of mental health that it is really important to have diagnoses and even treat with psychotropic medication and being able to intervene in a way that's very medicalized because some of those severities are so severe. But in the coaching space that I've been able to tap into, it's been really exciting because I'm working with obviously a completely type of different client. And the clients that I'm serving in the coaching space are often what's coming, What's what I've been attracting, I suppose I could say, is that finding a lot of clients who are open and receptive to a very spiritual approach to their healing. And that's really, I think, my niche. I think that I feel like that has been beautiful medicine for me in being able to look at the human experience from a even 5D or spiritual perspective. And I think that being able to offer that in my coaching space has been really beautiful. So for example, the way that that would manifest is like a client, you know, comes to me and they've had some massive situation happen in their life, right? And they're looking at it from like this happen to me personalizing it like this is really painful because this is not how I anticipated my life to go because of xyz and then we can zoom out of it and say what is your soul meant to learn from this experience what is your higher power or your highest self or whatever you want to call it if it's god if it's divine if it's if it's you if it's your higher power whatever it is whatever name you have for it, what does that want you to know about this experience? And is it aligned? Is this experience and how you're responding to it aligned with the highest version of yourself? If not, let's tap into what is your highest version of yourself saying about how to respond to this and how can we shift in that experience of it? And what I find is that, I mean, I could probably do some really fun research about this. I've thought about this is that I think spirituality is at the root of resilience. So when we're talking about what makes people resilient, I think a lot of it is actually rooted in spirituality because it gives you the opportunity. And again, whatever that means to that person, it doesn't have to be a specific religion. It doesn't have to be anything labeled, but what is that person's highest version of themselves, their most evolved version of themselves, what is that version of them saying about their experience and how are they growing from that? And it all of a sudden takes it from they're a victim to I'm actually empowered and this is how I'm using this to move forward in my life. Right. Yeah. That's kind of unfolding on me all that you said there. That was a lot, but yeah, I can see how that 
helps you on a very personal level reframe the situation and your thoughts about it when you start looking to, you know, how does the highest version of me, the best version of me, whatever you want to call it, how does that version view this? Because that's you, it's still you. So you can, you know, it helps you bridge the difference, I think, between that and the way you are thinking about it now. Like you said, this happened to me and, and those kind of thoughts, which, you know, cause pain and and anxiety and and keep us in that situation. And and so we can't move on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it it can really entrap people to think that way. I was just working with a client this morning on this exact thing. We were talking a lot about women's rights movements and a lot of things that have been going on in the social media, just talking about the injustice of the the toxic masculine and and the fear that often women face in their day-to-day lives. And the the 97% of women who've been assaulted or abused in some way um, by the masculine or by, you know, romantic partner. I'm not exactly sure of the dimensions of that, the stipulations of that 97%. But, you know, my client was expressing to me that there was a lot of just anger and resentment and, and, and it was triggering for her. And, and there was just so, so much there to explore and unfold and unpack. And, and what it really came down to is that it was so painful for her because she really felt or saw it from what her own personal experience was and it was even preventing her from being able to you know move forward with her with her week with her life in um, a really healthy productive way and what we recognized from a spiritual perspective when we were able to zoom out and look at it from a spiritual perspective again this is really effective with this particular client because this really resonates with her but looking at the spirituality as oh my gosh well this is my soul's purpose. Part of my soul's purpose is to advocate. I am an advocate for rights. I'm an advocate for a different way of living. I'm an advocate for the the matriarchy and the birth of this new way of operating in the world. And that is why I'm feeling so much frustration around this situation, right? And like looking at it from this is triggering me, but I was meant to experience that situation as further motivation towards my life's purpose. My higher self wants me to know that this is part of why I incarnated on this planet at this time, because I have a really specific purpose around my voice and using my voice to share my experience in a way that is productive towards society. So that right there, we're able to take her from this like very 3D vision of it to a very more evolved way to think about it. It was a little bit less painful for her to just operate in her day to day. Right. I mean, from, you know, anger and frustration and not being able to do any feeling powerless, really, to, you know, then completely stepping into that power, like I could change the world, I can, you know, make a difference because of this. That's amazing. Yes, exactly. Can be really freeing that way. And it's it's interesting that that we connected today, because I was recently working with a client and it was about, you know, things like you talked about and like, and forgiveness. So I find that 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 is a very interesting topic. I was sharing a quote that I heard recently and it's, there's a lot of different versions of it, but you know, when you don't forgive someone or yourself, but mostly someone else, it's like taking poison and hoping someone else dies. (laughs) Wow. Yes, exactly. That's a wonderful quote. Yeah. So, you know, and that was important for reframing it 
you know, for her because we often, you know, can't move on because we want that person to suffer, but we are suffering. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you brought up the forgiveness piece because uh, one thing I want to talk about too is that the forgiveness, you know, I call myself a forgiveness coach, but like really it's, it's a bit of a cheat here because honestly, forgiveness is rooted in absolutely everything. We can look at forgiveness from a person, a situation, the system. I mean, there's so many levels of forgiveness. And I think the biggest misconception around forgiveness is that people say, well, he doesn't deserve it or she doesn't deserve it or they don't deserve it. And the reality of it is, is it's actually not about the other person, thing, situation, or place. It's 1000% for the person. It is the exact representation of stepping into the highest self. It's like, I have yet to meet someone that I can pose this question and say, is this resentment aligned with the highest version of you, your highest self? I've yet to meet someone that can say, yes, this resentment is absolutely aligned with my head and self. Like that doesn't happen, at least so far. I'm I'm open to being stumped on this, but it seriously doesn't happen. And I think most people can resonate with, okay, yes, I feel this resentment and frustration and anger. I know it's not aligned with the highest version of myself, but I also don't know how to step out of it. And then that's where I say, aha, let's do this exercise. And what I always have people do is I have them imagine, this is particularly effective, obviously, when it's a specific person they're trying to forgive, but I have them imagine they're having a conversation with the child version of the person they are trying to forgive. And they're talking like, what is it like for you? What, what is this? What is it like to be a child in your shoes right now? What is your life like right now? What does it feel like to be you? What kind of pains are you experiencing? And when you tap into, and this is important because it helps that person tap into the empathy, we all are able to be highly empathetic creatures, but we often have to turn it off to be able to operate in our world because if we're too empathetic, then everything is just coming at us at 100%. And it's just way too difficult to operate that way. But we can harness some of this ability to be empathetic, this intuitive knowing that all of us have when we need to practice our practice of forgiveness. And we can do this when we recognize that although an adult is easy to demonize, right? Like this person has done X, Y, Z to me. Therefore, they are the demon in my mind, right? And when we realize that All they are is really just this hurting inner child who is trying to get through the world and just trying to breathe and live and survive. And sometimes fear makes people do crazy things, right? Then all of a sudden we can tap into empathy and then that allows us the space for forgiveness. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a great way that that you've explained it, that we do have to to turn that off in in some situations. My partner, you know, sometimes we'll talk about movies and things we see and he'll point out that sometimes we're looking at something and the hero of the story, you can actually look and, and realize that they're not the hero in, in some of the other characters' lives. They're actually terrible. <laughs> That's a good point, yes. So it, that it's, it's good that, you know, you help them look at this person as they may have been and you know, there something happened in their life that that led them to where they are and to those things that happened. And if pain is coming out of their life, there's pain in them. Ah, 
That is so brilliant. I've, I've often thought about that too, but I've never actually verbalized that, that uh, when you look at the hero of, of every single film you could ever think of, they're a villain to the villain or they're a villain to someone else. And, and I think that's so important to recognize that in all of our lives, there are these components of the shadow and the light in, in all of us and, and recognizing that we may be seen as a hero to some, but a villain to others. And that is part of the human experience, even that there's all these different, we're so complex, our human experiences and our human, human concepts are so complex. Right. And I, I think that's an important thing to understand when interacting with people and how we, we tend now to to kind of get kind of black and white is that no one is a hero really or a villain. Mm-hmm. We're we're very complex and yeah. you can have aspects of a lot of different things within you. You could have done something amazing at one point and also something really horrible. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Such a good point. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So forgiveness, and, you know, we kind of talked about this, but it's really about you then so that you're not carrying around the weight of this event or this other person. So what is it then that your clients are finding when they're, you know, coming through this and coming to the other side of it? Like, what are the benefits? Yeah, well, being able to release control, release the attachment of the outcome, And also just being able to be more free in one's thoughts. When you have not done forgiveness, you have not gone through the process of that. And again, this is something that you choose to do every single day. It's not something that like it happens once and then it's just like, that's it. It's like, it's something that you have to continue to remind yourself. And every time you lean back into that resentment, you again, go back into the empathy exercise and then forgiveness. But what happens is, is like when your thoughts are completely consumed by something that is of low vibration, like anger, resentment, frustration, sadness, then you, you really are distracting yourself. It's impossible to be present when you're going in that. And, and as many of the famous spiritual teachers of our time would say that, when you're distracted from the present moment, you're you're really you're really at a loss there. You're really at a disadvantage to be able to enjoy your life and to really be able to embody your truest self. And so, remembering that when you're distracted by these thoughts, that you can find the motivation to go into the forgiveness, and then that can free you. So essentially, it, it gives freedom. And and sometimes it's it's also comes with a an added bonus of a death of an ego because the the ego can really have us hold on to well this person doesn't deserve it and I am righteous like this is my right to be angry you know right. and of Absolutely. course you have that ang- you have that right to be angry of course you do but the reality of it is is that it's very deceiving because you think that you're being righteous and holding on to the anger but yet the anger is actually what's keeping you chained to this emotion. And so when you go through the process of forgiveness, then you realize that you actually find you have a death of an ego because you're realizing that the ego is very distracting from your highest version of yourself. Right, exactly. It's very hard to to move forward and be that highest version of yourself when you're so angry. Yes, 
And I think a lot of people, like I always hear people talk about experiences with like microdosing psilocybin or, you know, these different experiences that people have. They talk a lot about the death of the ego. And I think that that's actually very probably heavily rooted in, well, you're, you're recognizing how incredibly deceiving the ego can be. And I think that can be the most enlightening experience of someone's life. And so recognizing that I don't know that you always need to go on certain uh, spiritual journeys with the use of a substance, although it could, I'm sure it could be beneficial. I I can't speak too much on it because I don't really know that much on the, the research of it. But what I will say is that I think you could even replicate something similar, maybe not as intense, but something along the same lines through the process of forgiveness, because you're having the death of the ego, which can actually be one of the most enlightening experiences someone can go through, recognizing that, oh, wow, this whole time I was holding on to this, when really that was the most deceiving thing I could ever do. And I always laugh, like when people talk about about certain experiences of like road rage or like this happened here and this, I can't believe that, you know, this happened. I don't know. So many examples of this and, and it's all the ego. It's like, are you so involved in your ego that your ego is like, I am righteous and being able to be in this lane and not have anyone get too close to me or come in front of me or slow me down and recognizing that like, wow, the ego is really chaining you. And that can be one of the hardest things to come into recognition. You know, that I had a client like this was a, a while back, but like talking about his pit bull dog, he had a really big pit bull dog. And he was really upset that people made comments about their fear of his dog. And, you know, we realized that like, this is so deeply rooted in the ego that like, it even came out that like, he, he got this dog because it like made him feel powerful. And it, in a way that he realized in his childhood, he didn't feel powerful and never had any power voice. And so like his dog even represented his power, which he also loved as like his child, you know what I mean? And so then we were like unpacking like, wow. So it, it really sounds like it really offended you that people were afraid of your power yet and power equal dog. Right. And the, but yet you even got the dog as a way to enhance and amplify your own power. So how funny that, how ironic that there would even be this offense that people are fearful and then recognizing, right, that fear is one of the most basic human emotions that it really would be a very egotistical thing to deny another human their right to fear, right? Like, oh, how dare you fear my very powerful, strong dog, you know? It's like, uh, you know, a course we can go that's a whole other tangent about the whole pit bull thing you know no 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 harm no foul of course we all love the pit bulls they're lovely dogs but uh of course recognizing that there could be some merit in fear right as a as a powerful animal and uh that it's interesting to tap into the ego and say the ego is holding on to here something that oh these people do not have the right to fear you know and it's like oh how can we shift that and actually allow them the space to feel more safe 
like, oh, well, don't worry. He's very friendly. I have him on a leash, you know, like instead, like letting people allow the opportunity to, I always think about this in terms of attachment, like allowing people the space to be securely attached and be a secure attachment. Like if people are feel fearful or tapping into these certain emotions that are just so basic to human, human need, even how can you provide containment or safety for that attachment? And this applies even to like relationship dynamics. And, you know, we could probably go on and on about different examples. Right. And no, that was, that was a great example. And it did, it made me think of, of other ones, you know, just like, I think a a lot of people, they want to be leaders and they want to make change, but they do not want criticism, judgment, or rejection. It's like, but, but you also know as a person that you don't like change, Yeah. (laughs) right? You don't want someone coming in and changing your stuff. So if that's something you want to get out there and do, that's great. Some people are not going to like it. Yeah. Well, and and (laughs) I I love that you brought up that example, because I think that's really present with a lot of shifting that's happening in our world right now. And I actually, I think it's very indicative of the level of personal development that that person has done or not done when they're very triggered by criticism, when they're speaking out to masses, because it is very egotistical, I think, to expect that when you speak something and say something that everybody should fall in line and follow. And it is part of the personal growth of recognizing, oh, you know, I can shift. This is where spirituality comes in. Like, oh, my soul is here shifting, you know, ruffling some feathers. My my soul is here like mixing some stuff up, you know? <laughs> and I'm going to hold space for the fact that like some people are nervous about this. I'm I'm maybe inciting some fear here or maybe in, inciting some discomfort and who am I to deny them of that experience? Like Oh, you know, let let's continue to to hold space for that. What is coming up for you, you know? Like how can we how can we continue to all evolve? I think the number one word that's coming to mind right now is humility, and I think a lot of our leaders and even people who are having their voices spoken out on a public level could all benefit from more humility because that really is the foundation of being able to speak out but also have the sustainability of humility and being like, okay, not everyone is going to fall in line right away. And I'm so okay with that because that's how Hitler came into power, right? Like, you know what I mean? I think it's very important when we see people who don't conform right away or think outside the box or ask questions or criticize because anyone who is able to think critically about a person of leadership is a very strong person. And it's not always a bad thing. And it definitely doesn't need to be met with defensiveness. If anything, it can be met with so much love. Like, I'm so proud of you for questioning authority. Like, heck yeah. Like, we need more of that. Like, thank you for questioning my authority. I am so firm and confident in my message that it is of pure and and true intent that I am willing to meet you with so much love as you question who I am as a human being. Wow. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty um pretty earth shaking if if we were <laughs> all able to tap into that more being right we can all operate on that way it's just a matter of evolution especially for you know leadership today i think that 
there seems to be such a push to be so strong and, and that people don't question you. It would be amazing for me, at least in my opinion, to have leaders who held space for that because they were like, you know what? Guess what? I've been wrong before. Like if they were like, remember when I was really zealous and I was like all for this certain thing? Guess what? I don't think that anymore. And I was wrong. Yeah. I I would love that. Yeah. I think they think that they have to, you know, be stable for us. But I would rather you admit that you've been wrong because you have. We know you have. (laughs) It's funny you bring that up because that reminds me I'm taking psychological testing class right now. And we're learning all about how to administer personality tests. And it's very, it's really interesting and highly supported by research. It's been going on for since the 20s, which is just crazy to think about. And one of the biggest markers is if they're faking bad or faking good. And it's very accurate. I, I, I'm still a little bit perplexed on how it actually works, but essentially these tests are so incredibly advanced that they can tell if someone is trying to fake being better than they are or faking worse than they are. And I'm asking my professor, like, how is this possible? Like, why, like, how does this thing do this? And essentially it pulls out certain questions that are to measure if someone is faking bad or faking good. And one question that like totally stumps me is, have you ever stolen anything? This is a faking bad or faking good question, depending on how they answer it. And it's really interesting because if they say no, it goes on to the faking good. Oh, wow. Because, and then the way my professor said this is like, really, you've never stolen anything ever? Like, that's not possible for human nature. And I'm sitting there going, well, I I don't think I've ever stolen anything. I'm like trying to go through my whole memory repertoire. Like what could even be considered stealing? Of course, I went to the very traditional, like, well, I've never taken anything from a store. So did that count? Oh, but then like, you know, there's other situations that I'm like, hmm, okay, maybe that would be considered stealing. I don't know. Like what I wouldn't consider it stealing, but then, you know, there it is. There's me faking good on that question. So that's just, it's just funny how, yeah, those types of situations. Well, and that's, that's funny that you brought that up because I've, I've met people in my life that have said that they don't lie. Like if you ask them something and they'll go, oh, well, I never lie. And I'm like, if someone tells you that, that they just lied to you. (laughs) They're faking good. They're faking good. Because you can't say that. People lie. Right. (laughs) Everybody. Everybody. It's human nature. Even the white lies. Well, the the white lies are probably the the ones that we make the most excuses for, right? Like, oh, it was a good thing. Like, I just, I told her I just was sick, but I really didn't want to go to her birthday party, you know, or whatever. Just thinking of a random example. (laughs) Exactly. But something that everyone has done. So a a little more humanity and and humility is, I think, definitely a good thing for all of us and for our leadership. So this has been just an amazing interview for me. I will say that if people are interested in in getting to know more about you and and what you do, how how can they find you? How can they reach out? So I can be found on LinkedIn, Ariana Zabriskie. I'm also on Facebook and I, my website is arianazabriskie.com. I also invite emails, arianazabriskie at gmail.com. 
I'm not on Instagram right now and I'm not on Twitter. I have taken a hiatus from Instagram and it was meant to be a month and now it's turned into three months and I, I just can't even tell you how good it feels. So I am not on Instagram and I, (laughs) I feel more grounded, not doing that. So that's where I'm at, but I invite other, uh, other avenues of communication. Wow. That's fascinating. And I, and I bet that's freed up a lot of time for you it's so has. in your life. It so has. Yes. So before I let you go today, you know, we've talked about a lot, drama, forgiveness, addiction. Is there, you know, any last thing that you would like to, to share with our listeners? Someone, you know, maybe they've connected with something you've said today, like just a last word of help or advice on being maybe your highest self. Yeah, I was just about to say, when in doubt, (laughs) ask your highest self, is this action most aligned with the most evolved version of you? I I think that that's fantastic. That's an amazing way to to view things and and reframe them. So I'm so glad that that you shared that with us today. For those of you listening, you know, she she shared with you some ways to to connect with her. We'll have those in the show notes. I know that you're going to want to hear more because... I feel like I could talk to her all day. It's pretty amazing. So (laughs) thank you for being here with us and all the listeners as well. And everyone just go out and live vibrantly.